Did you know the Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. The FT. Welcome to FT Analysis. On July 9th, Indonesians will go to the polls to vote for their next president. The frontrunner is Joko Widodo, a former furniture maker who has risen from provincial politics to the top of Indonesia's political scene. Ben Bland, the FT's Indonesia correspondent, tells the story of Widodo's remarkable ascent and looks at whether he has what it takes to lead the world's third biggest democracy. Sukarno, a retired truck driver, used to live in a riverside slum plagued by crime and disease in Solo, a small city in central Java. Apart from the coming and going of fetid floodwaters, nothing much had changed there for decades until a little-known furniture maker called Joko Widodo became the city's first directly elected mayor in 2005. He made it his mission to turn round the flagging prospects of his hometown of 500,000 people, which was blighted by poverty, chaotic streets and an inefficient bureaucracy. When the mayor, known in Indonesia as Jokowi, first turned up on the muddy pathways of Kampung Sewu, the illegal settlement that was home to Sukarno, the residents resisted his proposals to relocate them to a purpose-built village. But Mr Widodo kept returning until he had convinced about a 100 families to move with an offer of free land and funding to build their own homes. Life is much better here, says Sukarno, as he shows off his new house in the neat, simple development to which the community moved en masse. We like Jokowi because he cares about the ordinary people and dealt with us directly. He didn't just send his staff. Three years after Sukarno moved out of the slum, Mr Widodo has been propelled from the obscurity of provincial politics to the global spotlight. He is the frontrunner to become the next president of Indonesia, the world's third biggest democracy. If he wins the election on July the 9th, it will cap a meteoric political rise, an Indonesian equivalent of President Barack Obama's journey to the White House. In a country where frustration with the self-serving, graft-prone elite is widespread, Mr Widodo's folksy charm, corruption-free reputation and record of delivering basic services help him beat the powerful incumbent to win election as the governor of Jakarta in 2012. No sooner had he taken office in the capital than he was topping polls to become Indonesia's next president, with Susilo Bambang Yudhoyono, the incumbent, stepping down after reaching the two-term limit amid growing dissatisfaction with his leadership. But since being confirmed as the presidential candidate for the opposition Indonesian Democratic Party of Struggle, or PDIP, in March, the 53-year-old Mr Widodo has struggled to live up to incredibly high expectations. In televised debates and on the campaign trail, his poor rhetorical skills and lack of high-level political nous have been exposed ruthlessly by Prabowo Subianto, his rival for the presidency, and a former special forces general and self-styled strongman. 
Mr. Widodo's poll lead over Mr. Subianto, which was as high as 30 percentage points before legislative elections in April, has fallen to just four points, according to the Indonesian Survey Institute, a local pollster. It put Mr. Widodo on 43% and Mr. Subianto on 39%, with 18% undecided. Some in Mr. Widodo's team concede that the gap may be even closer than that. The significant number of foreign investors and Indonesians who were captivated by Mr. Widodo's reformist credentials are now starting to ask whether he really has what it takes to become the first non-elite president of Indonesia's democratic era. It is a crucial question as the economy faces a host of immediate and medium-term economic and political challenges. Whoever wins the presidency and takes office in October will have to tackle a widening budget deficit, a ballooning fuel subsidy bill and difficult negotiations over a new minimum wage. At the same time, economic growth has fallen to its lowest level in five years as a cooling Chinese economy has hit demand for Indonesian exports such as coal, palm oil and rubber. During the next five years, the new president will have to tackle seemingly intractable structural problems, endemic corruption, inadequate infrastructure, rising social inequality, a lack of legal certainty and failing health and education systems. He will also bear responsibility for consolidating a vibrant young democracy. If the next president fails, there is a real risk that Indonesia's demographic dividend about half the population of 250 million is under 30, will turn into a demographic time bomb. Rodrigo Chavez, the World Bank's country director, says that much of Indonesia's recent progress has been due to good luck, not good policy, and many Indonesians are yet to benefit from the boom. Radan Pardede, vice-chairman of the President's Economic Advisory Committee, says that while Mr Widodo and Mr Subianto have both promised to improve the country's infrastructure, agriculture and education systems, neither has shown properly how these plans will be financed and implemented. He says that, in Indonesia, success is not about the programme, but the character of the leader. Born in Solo in 1961, Mr Widodo studied forestry at Gajah Mada University, one of Indonesia's best, in the nearby city of Yogyakarta. He followed his family into the local lumber industry, setting up a furniture factory and exporting products around the world. He became the head of the Solo Furniture Makers Association in 2002, and he passed control of the business to his brother-in-law three years later, when he became mayor. The business has continued to grow at a steady pace since then. Mr. Widodo says that his experience as a furniture exporter shaped his pragmatic approach to politics and his focus on tackling problems rather than theorising. He also cites his private sector background to reassure Indonesian and international investors of his commitment to market competition, despite his regular comments in support of popular protectionist policies. For 24 years I exported furniture, he told hundreds of people at a recent business meeting in Jakarta to promote his economic agenda. I may have the face of someone who comes from the village, but I have an international brain. While some of Indonesia's influential tycoons were present at the event and others are backing Mr Subianto, most are keeping quiet so that they can preserve their business interests, whoever wins. Mr Widodo combines a studiously honed, down-to-earth style and a record of delivering better services. 
Even his rivals concede that one reason voters like him is because he looks and sounds like an ordinary person rather than a member of the flashy elite that dominates business and politics in Indonesia. The wealthy Mr Subianto flies around in helicopters and private aircraft and lives in an expansive hilltop ranch outside Jakarta where he keeps thoroughbred horses, dogs and a falcon. Mr Wadodo, by contrast, wears cheap shirts, plain trousers and shoes and usually travels in a standard family car. His previous electoral success was driven by notable reforms, such as expanding access to health and education services and cutting red tape for businesses. John Taylor, an urban planner who worked with Mr Wadodo in his hometown, says that There has been a lot of change in Solo, with riverblank slum dwellers moved to new villages, street vendors relocated to permanent markets, and the overall reputation of the city improved. His biggest challenge was getting the bureaucracy to work with him. It took him three years, but after that he was able to move faster. According to those close to him, his re-election in Solo in 2010, with an unprecedented 90% of the vote, persuaded Mr Wadodo that he was destined for greater things. In the 20 months since he took office in Jakarta, Mr Wadodo has faced similar obstacles with local officialdom. But, in the sprawling congested capital, the world's second biggest metropolitan area after Tokyo, he has struggled to exercise his simple management style of delegating decisions and using spot checks to expose problems. His record is a mix of successes and failed initiatives. He has implemented a plan to make basic health and education free for the poor, and work has started on a long-delayed metro system but he has not managed to kick-start a high-profile monorail project and a drive to revamp the Tana Abang textile market, Southeast Asia's biggest, upset many traders. In interviews, public appearances and meetings with diplomats, Mr Wadodo plays down his ambition, insisting he has simply been in the right place at the right time. But those who have worked with him say that in private he shows his political cunning and calculation. After the PDIP party fared worse than expected in April's elections, despite coming first with 19% of the seats in the House of Representatives, Mr Wadodo fretted over how to adjust his personal image on the campaign trail. He took quiet soundings on whether he should wear his trademark red and blue checked shirt rather than the PDIP party colours. He opted for the former, but throughout the campaign has remained nervous about upsetting powerful figures in the party, not least Megawati Sukarno Putri, the party chairman and former president, and her family. Despite his popularity, one of Mr Wadodo's political shortcomings has been his reliance on the backing of Miss Sukarno Putri and his inability to win the full support of those in the PDIP who worry that his sudden rise represents a threat to their positions. Marcus Mietzner, a lecturer in Indonesian politics at the Australian National University who's tracked Mr Wadodo's rise, says that divisions in the PDIP have hampered the legislative and presidential election campaigns, allowing Mr Subianto to win back the support of many voters. But the campaign has also revealed Mr Wadodo's personal limitations, giving fuel to critics in Mr Subianto's camp who contend he is not ready for the presidency. Mr Mietzner says that Mr. Wadodo prefers practical problem-solving to engagement with abstract intellectual discussions. In Solo and Jakarta, Mr. Wadodo has relied heavily on strong-willed deputies to implement his plans. 
When the Financial Times spent a day with him in November as he conducted his habitual checks on city officials and projects, he took only one phone call. When asked why, he said that Basuki Chahaya Panama, the deputy governor, was handing the nitty-gritty issues as usual. If delegating is his way of governing, it is his ability to channel popular aspirations that has won him elections. An Indonesian investor who has worked closely with Mr Widodo argues that, in this respect, he shares an important political attribute with Mr Obama. He says, Obama wrote that he serves as a blank screen on which people of vastly different political stripes project their own views. Mr Widodo is the same. He doesn't give much away but people can invest in him whatever hopes they want, whether it's a poor mother hoping he will increase spending on her local health clinic, or an investor who hopes that he will improve the business climate. If he wins, we will only start to see what he is really like when he selects his cabinet. For one-time slum dwellers such as Sukarno or Udin, a former street hawker whose sales jumped by 50% after he was relocated by Mr Widodo to the purpose-built market in Solo, their hopes are clear. Udin says, Jokowi is a good leader. He is brave enough to listen directly to the complaints of the market traders. From his record as mayor of Solo and governor of Jakarta, I'm sure Jokowi will be a great president. But if he is to win the presidency, Mr. Widodo will have to convince the vast majority of Indonesia's 186 million voters who have never experienced his leadership style that he can apply an approach honed as a small-town mayor to the world's biggest archipelago nation. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.